Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Aspen Daily News. My name is Greg Stewart. Can our community spirit be saved? Retired journalist hopes glimpse at Crested Butte inspires Aspen. Reading from the Tuesday, March 7 edition of Aspen Daily News Online. Article by Scott Condon. Longtime Aspen journalist Paul Anderson has launched an ambitious effort to try to bolster community in the upper Roaring Fork Valley. It starts with a look at Crested Butte. Anderson has teamed up with numerous civic-minded individuals and entities to present a screening of the documentary High Country at Pepke Auditorium on March 11. The film by Connor Hagen focuses on community as Crested Butte viewed it from the 1960s to today. Anderson hopes the freeze screening will inspire Aspen area residents to take stock of the state of community and determine what improvements can be made. It's no secret that community has become quite a topic of conversation here, Anderson told the Pitkin County Commissioners in a recent discussion. I think it's because there's a collective sense of loss, loss of soul, sense of place, community spirit, whatever. We all have our communities here, he continued. It's not that community is lacking, it's the cohesion may be lacking. Too often, he said, the broader community gets together only at memorial services. He wants to see cohesion in joyous situations as well. Anderson and Hagen worked with the McBride Foundation, Aspen Journalism, and Aspen Chamber Resort Association to provide a free screening of the documentary from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. on Saturday. Numerous other organizations also contributed funds to keep the event free. The screening will be followed by a half-hour panel discussion that features Anderson, Hagen, former Colorado Senator Gail Schwartz, and former Aspen Mayor John Bennett. Sign-up sheets will be available at the event for people who want to keep the conversation going at future events. While the screening is free, it is on a first-come, first-served basis. Anderson was a reporter and editor in the Crested Butte area from 1970 to 1984 and covered how the town came together to fight a proposed molybdenum mine. He left Crested Butte to become a reporter at the Aspen Times and recently retired as a columnist. He was effective at promoting community while still shining a light on tough issues that needed examination. He is continuing on that same vein in this new endeavor. As a very grateful Aspen journalist, book author and Aspen Institute seminar moderator of almost 40 years, I feel obliged to offer something positive that could help heal the divisiveness and hostilities that have torn the Aspen community, evident by almost daily columns and letters in local papers, Anderson told the Aspen Daily News. He wants the film screening to inspire part-time residents as well as year-round dwellers. The idea is to be inclusive, he said. But, as the discussion by county commissioners showed, there might be a generational divide when it comes to the assessment of community in Aspen. Commissioner Penny Clapper, 
who married into a multi-generational Aspen family, said she senses that community isn't what it used to be. People of different ages used to typically mingle and get together for various causes, events, and celebrations. She noted that Aspen and Pitton County's battle against the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency over the designation of the Smuggler Mountain Superfund site brought community together. She said she was supportive of Anderson's efforts to, quote, bring our community back together. But Commissioner Kelly McNicholas Curry had a different take. I feel like I hear that community is lacking from people who have lived here a really long time, McNicholas Curry said. I feel like I'm in a different place. I feel like I'm part of a community that's really thriving in a lot of ways. Maybe that's just because I have young kids and I am ingrained in the school system communities and the neighborhoods and the neighborhood communities we've created. More recent arrivals to town, such as her, have had to deal with rather had to deal from the start with lack of affordable places to congregate with friends, she noted. They adjust but still find ways to maintain community. Pitching things as how much we've lost our uh, lost or don't have in some ways it's a little insulting McNicholas Curry said I think there are a lot of people who are trying to build community at a grassroots level in a way that doesn't in a way this doesn't acknowledge there's a uh, mourning uh, that's going on by certain portions of the community that isn't experienced by other parts of the community she added Commissioners ultimately voted to allocate $1,000 from their discretionary fund to the presentation of the film. Curry was opposed because she felt the fund should be used for broader-based efforts. Clapper said the small allocation could potentially reap large rewards in community building. This is a great place to start, she said. Anderson said he hopes a glimpse across the Elk Mountains at a nearby ski town can spur conversations about community in Aspen. At the very least, the audience leaves high country with a warm feeling for Crested Butte, he said. And since we share a mountain range with that beautiful town... There comes another opportunity to begin s establishing a relationship with both towns that straddles the Elk Range based on the shared values of living in this incredibly beautiful place for which most of us are grateful. And now, Aspen Sports Stores will be closed by Vail Resorts. Company statement. Decision was made to shift focus to other priorities. The retail arm of Vail Resorts decided before the ski season began that it would close several of its Aspen sports outlets and other stores in Aspen and Snowmass Village, the company said in a statement Monday. The decision was made to focus on other strategic priorities, Vail Resorts said in a statement. SSI Venture Inc., the retail arm of Vail Resorts filed notices of closures of nine outlets in Aspen and Snowmass Village with the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment, according to copies provided by the department. The notices were officially received March 2. SSI Ventures sent individual notices on the pending closure of nine outlets in Aspen and Snowmass Village, with seven of them affiliated with the Aspen Sports brand. The Patagonia and North Face shops in Snowmass Village will also close. Vail Resorts acquired the local businesses in April 2010. The closures included the Aspen Sports retail store location on Snowmass Village Mall. The entire store will be closed. 
The closure of the store is expected to be permanent and all employees employed at the store will be affected, said the notice to the Labor Department. As our leases in the snowmass era came up for renewal at the end of the 2022-2023 winter season, we needed to make a long-term decision regarding the future strategy of our retail operations. So we decided to close down our retail operations in this market in order to focus company resources on serving our core retail markets. The closure of the Snowmass Mall store will affect 13 employees. The notice says separations with employees will occur on May 1, uh, June 1, and July 1. Other closures affect Aspen Sports Hyatt at 415 East Dean Street in Aspen with four employees, Aspen Sports St. Regis at 303 East Durant Avenue, nine employees, Aspen Sports Viewline, 100 Elbert Lane Snowmass Village, four employees, Aspen Sports Demo, 90 Carriageway Snowmass Village, five employees, Snowmass Sports Tune, 100 Elbert Lane, Snowmass Village, six employees. Aspen Sports Valet, 100 Elbert Lane, Snowmass Village, three employees. Patagonia Shop, 100 Elbert Lane, Snowmass Village, seven employees. The North Face, 100 Elbert Lane, Snowmass Village, six employees. Another ten closures were announced to SSI Ventures stores in Telluride. We are grateful to our employees and partners in Telluride and Aspen and are working with impacted team members to find new employment opportunities within the Vail Resorts network, said this statement from Vail Resorts. The notice to the Labor Department elaborated further. Current storefronts are being transitioned to other retailers while rather where possible and current employees have the option to engage with those employers about future employment opportunities. The notices said, and now potholes aplenty in the Upper Valley, Aspen, Pitkin County working to repair damage ahead of spring. Article by Megan Weber. It's that time of year when drivers encounter more potholes than usual on the roadways. And the city of Aspen is working to address the problem while there is a gap in the wet, cold weather. Cold, snowy winters are responsible for accelerated pavement deterioration. And the city partners with the Colorado Department of Transportation to repair the damaged roadways along Highway 82, according to a public service announcement recently issued by the city. Aspen Public Works Deputy Director Tyler Kristoff said the wet weather that has blown through the Aspen area recently, combined with the increasingly warmer springtime temperatures, have caused the pavements to freeze and crack. Historically, this is the time of year that potholes pop up, Kristoff said. We're aware of the issue and trying to proactively address it. Kristoff said crews are focusing primarily on high traffic areas and working during nighttime hours to reduce the impact on traffic. In the summer months, potholes can be repaired with what's known as a hot patch, which fills the holes with warm asphalt mix from a mixing plant. The plants only function from April through October, however, so the city has been using a piece of equipment from CDOT to warm the asphalt 
long enough to seal the pavement until crews can return in the summer. In the absence of a hot mix batch plant, we have to take other approaches to repair the highway, Christoph said. All of these efforts are temporary measures to repair the roadway until those asphalt plants turn on in the spring. In the last week, Christoph said the city has repaired holes along Main Street, Mill Street, and Durant Avenue, mostly at night. He added that crews have placed between 4,500 and 5,000 pounds of material. Crews also have had to work around the weather to find the best times for filling potholes. But Christoph said the weather this week seems to be conductive, conducive rather, to working at night. City crews plan to work on patching operations as needed throughout the remainder of winter, according to the PSA. He added that the Public Works Department is appreciative of the community's patience and to those who convey information about the state of the local roads. Road damage can be reported using the app Aspen 311 Connect. The app name again for that, Aspen 311 Connect. We're on it as fast as possible, and hopefully... We have the ability to continue to address this and keep the roads safe for our community, Christoph said. Pitkin County also is working to address similar issues on county roads where water damage has sped up deterioration of roads, particularly in areas like Smithway, which connects motorists between Highway 82 and McLean's Flats Road, rather McLean Flats Road near Woody Creek. Pat, uh, Pitkin County Public Works Director Brian Patet said the county is in the same situation as the city of not having access to warm asphalt resources until the spring. It's not that work isn't being done on the roads, it's just that with as much moisture as we've had, the cold mix doesn't hold up very well, Patet said. To report road damage on county roads, call 970-920-5390. Again, to report road damage on county roads, Call 970-920-5390. And now commentary by Steve Skinner. Aspen voters, today is your day. Today, Aspen, you get to choose. Vote. Use your voice. Celebrate democracy. They say that all politics is local. The beauty of Aspen is that your vote matters. Your choice counts. According to VoterEF.com, there are 1,595 registered voters in Aspen. Wikipedia says that there were 7,004 people living in Aspen in 2022. So, a percentage of you, 1,595 registered voters, get to determine which way the wind blows for everyone for the near future. Being a registered voter in Aspen means you are calling Aspen home, your primary residence. My mom used to tell anyone who would listen that I was from Appen, when, even when I was living in Carbondale. For quite a while, I guess I was a local, but it's always been a big hill to climb to qualify as a true Aspen resident. It's always been this way. Oddly enough, when I moved down Valley to work in Carbondale, I was shunned by some of those locals for being from Aspen. 
I like being an Aspen voter. I got to weigh in on mayors and city council members, various referendums and property taxes. I always knew the mayors and council members. I still do. Even after moving out of the district many years ago, I have been keenly interested in Aspen politics and political directions. That comes from the days of outrage and activism as the ski hippies who moved here in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s became involved and interested in Aspen. Some served in the government and some made insane cash selling the local funk to the highest bidders. Many moved on. We almost had a train. We almost had large commercial jetliners landing at Sardi Field. We almost had the entrance to Aspen done. We got some housing, but the funky houses and apartments of Aspen were summarily paved over in favor of vacant vacation houses. Furs got banned. We got canary initiatives and Lauren Bobert. Despite our best efforts, cans get kicked down the highway and now the same issues spin around like Teslas in the roundabout. But Aspen knows how to vote and will probably do what's best for Aspen. Starting Wednesday, after the voting dust has settled, y'all can come back to being a charming small town and community, catch a historic film, maybe some comedy in the Wheeler Opera House, or just spend the full moon marching up buttermilk before tipping back some champagne and shushing down, ski suits streaking and glittering in the moonlight. Winter is still here, close to ending, but you can still immerse yourself in the winter parking, the entrance, the roundabout, the school buses, the early darkness, and the intensity. I don't know about you, but when I go outside these days, I feel the earliest tendrils of spring filling the air. Chickadees are suddenly everywhere, and the potholes are deep and foreboding. Pretty soon, daffodils will be popping up out of the snowy banks on the west end. Yes, the once-famous mud season was always an off-season, a time for locals to take back the town between runs to the desert, where highs are now creeping up into the 60s. This upcoming season is a time of cabin fever, when locals become restless and shuffle through their daily work as the tourists slowly roll out. Mud and water will make a mess of Smuggler, and the dog mess will do a slow reveal on the Rio Grande Trail. Skiers are counting the days. They can still get in, but Aspen Mountain will get sloppy at the bottom as spring presses her advantage. Here's another benefit to living in Aspen. So much adventure is within striking distance. For me, that usually means turning west at Glenwood and heading to Grand Junction, Fruta, Loma, Green River, Goblin Valley, Red Rock and Sunshine, Sand and Salvation. It's there now, pulling me toward the light. But today, enjoy having your say. Vote till it helps. Do your civic duty. Put the sticker on your sweater and get back to being some of the luckiest people in the world, the people of Aspen, the beautiful ones, the real locals. Because, remember, 
Great advantage comes with great responsibility and great opportunity. Don't waste it. Steve Skinner can be reached at moogzuki at gmail.com. And now, reading from the Wednesday, March 8 edition of Aspen Daily News Online, Rose Guth, victorious in Aspen Council race. Incumbent Council Member Messero says he's proud of campaign he ran. Article by Megan Weber. Sam Rose and Bill Guth were elected to the Aspen City Council on Tuesday night, with incumbent Skippy Messero falling short by 213 votes. Rose earned the most votes with 2,323, and Guth came in second with 1,499. Messero earned 1,286 votes. I'm just honored beyond belief, Rose said, shortly after seeing the final election results. Aspen really is the best place on earth to call home, and to be a representative of this place is the highest honor to me, personally. Rose said he believes it was his genuine hard work and dedication that contributed to his success in the race, noting that he feels like he's been running for the last two years. This time around, though, Rose ran a more sophisticated campaign, he said. I feel like I ran a more sophisticated campaign between the website and just under and just understanding targeted voter data and just understanding this town better, being on the Planning and Zoning Commission, joining the Ninth Judicial District Performance Commission, getting my masters in finance, and continuing with the volunteer firefighting and response. Rose said, "I just really felt." like I truly ingrained myself in this community in a way that I really could understand the issues and what needs to be done to help fix everything. Guth, a businessman and developer with strong support from local real estate industry, thanked his campaign team members and his family for their support throughout his first council campaign. Guth's campaign raised the most money of all five city council and mayoral candidates this season, and he said he was grateful for the support. I'm very excited, he said. I think I'm excited to be able to contribute to the future of Aspen and have representation on the city council and make Aspen a better place for all of us. After seeing the final results, Messero was all smiles despite the results and said he plans to take some time off after his term comes to an end in April. The next council will be sworn in on April 11. I ran exactly the race I wanted to run, Messero said. I am hopeful that the changes we brought forward have an impact. I'm going to be here till I'm 90-plus, so we've got plenty of time. Earlier in the day, the candidates were in campaign mode right up until 7 p.m., making phone calls, waving signs, and doing what they could to get out the vote ahead of the polls closing. I spent all morning teaching, rather reaching out to non-supporters, getting them to the polls. A lot of them said they are voting today or did last night, Rose said a few hours before the polls closed. He added that he expected to see the majority of votes come in closer to the 7 p.m. cutoff. Looking back at the campaign he ran, his second race for the city council seat, Rose said he was feeling cautiously optimistic about his chances and that he felt that he'd run a successful campaign. 
Messero, who spent the hours leading up to the end of election day making last-minute phone calls with the members of his campaign team, said he felt the policies he proposed were meant to move the community forward, if not to be agreed upon. I think I've been really, really, uh, really honest and transparent. I think I've been genuine about what I want to do, Messero said. I think I've put out things that are required to move our community forward, and because they're new, they're naturally going to have detractors. I haven't done the easy political thing. I've done a leadership thing, and that was my goal. The first goal of this campaign was to move the conversation. The second goal was to win. And I think that's pretty different from what I've seen from others. Guth said earlier in the evening that he was excited to see how the community voted. He spent the day making phone calls and waving signs along Main Street, accompanied by his wife and children. I'm excited to see how the community votes, he said. Obvious, I'm obviously hopeful to be able to contribute to Aspen. The voting threshold in the council race was 1,151 votes, uh, meaning that if Guth had earned fewer than the threshold, he and Messero would have gone to a runoff election. And now a look at more election results. Tory wins third term as mayor. Incumbent takes 60% over challenger Tracy Sutton. Article by Scott Condon. Aspen Mayor Tory won re-election by a comfortable margin Tuesday, but political newcomer Tracy Sutton showed a sizable part of the population was ready for a change. Tory won by 1,675 to 1,114 votes, or a margin of 60% to 40%. Tory campaigned to the end, waving a sign at the intersection of Mill and Main Streets almost up to the closing of the polls at 7 p.m. He said this race was more aggressively fought and less civil than his two last races. He, uh, his victory gave him a third consecutive uh, two-year term. He said he felt his message of putting community first resonated with voters. Community put community first, he said. Sutton said she was proud of the outcome considering she was a political newcomer taking on an incumbent. I think people were ready for a change, Sutton said. She said she will stay involved in politics. Win or lose, of course, I'm going to stay involved, she said. Tory acknowledged he must reach out to the 40% that voted for Sutton. I hear you, he said, summarizing his message to those who didn't vote for him. You listen to all input. Tory said he came close to tears when he cast his ballot Tuesday because he realized it was probably his last Aspen election, regardless of the outcome. The city has a term limit of three consecutive two-year terms for the mayor position. If he had lost, he likely wouldn't have run again, he said. It's been two decades of serving the community, Torrey said. The victory elevated Torrey's record in Aspen elections to five and six. He has won three races for mayor and two for council. He previously lost five races for mayor and one for council. The tennis instructor was elected to the Aspen City Council in 2003 and 2009. The first of his unsuccessful bids for mayor came in 2001. He defeated former councilwoman Ann Mullins by a 56% to 44% margin in 2019, and he defeated challenger Lee Mulcahy with 92% of the vote in 2021.
Tory emphasized his experience throughout the campaign and touted the city government's accomplishments during his tenure. In the last two years, I have led our city council in tackling both both long-standing issues and new and challenging conditions, he wrote in an opinion piece in the Aspen Daily News last week. I have supported increasing city outreach, communications, and public input, and will continue to work to improve that fundam- to improve that fundamental in our government. His highest priority, he added, was to continue to work to make a livable Aspen and a high quality of life. Sutton banked on Aspen voters being fed up with the direction of City Hall. She vowed that she would listen to a broader base of constituents. We have watched this city government repeatedly move forward on decisions without considering the full range of their consequences, Sutton wrote in a recent opinion piece in the Aspen Daily News. I want to work for the people in this community, the people who live here, who commute to work here, and who own our businesses. And now, Demons Hockey falls just short in triple OT thriller. Defending for a state champs, Cheyenne Mountain survives. Article by Rich Allen. Sometimes when you run into Goliath, he wins, even if David maybe deserved to. Uh, the Glenwood Springs hockey team's dream season came up just one win short falling to Cheyenne Mountain at Magnus Arena on the University of Denver campus on Tuesday night. In the program's fifth season, it took triple overtime for the defending state champions to thwart the newcomer, winning a 1-0 to game. Glenwood controlled play through the first two periods, but failed to convert that momentum on the scoreboard. They led 10-3 to in shots after the first period and 7-2 to in the second, but, enter- but entering the third period still had not beaten goalie Jeremy Renholm, leading to a 0-0 tie entering the third period, despite the decisive shot advantage. The Demons kept Cheyenne Mountain Foray's leading scoring team in the regular season well in check in the defense end, uh, preventing them from setting up established zone time until late in the first period. They met the Hawks in the neutral zone and prevented the puck from getting in front of the net for strong scoring chances. Junior goaltender Merrick Sen saw few quality chances. On the flip side, Glenwood's transition came, a rather game, generated them a few breakaways and they were able to get pucks deep. In the opening minutes of the third period, Sen was asked to make the first save before Glenwood stormed for three shot opportunities in quick succession, pulling Renholm out of his crease as a hawk bailed him out with a block before he sprawled across the net for a clutch save, keeping the game scoreless. Cheyenne Mountain flipped a switch in the third, taking three of the first four official shots on goal. Play evened out, with both teams getting chances, including a breakaway for Cheyenne Mountain's Wyatt Ferna drawing a penalty with under two minutes to play. Glenwood survived the one minute 46 left on the clock and a few remaining in the first overtime. In the extra periods, the Hawks continued to adapt to the Demons' for checking, continuing to draw opportunities. Finally, in triple overtime, it was Hank Walsh from Ferda that beat Sen on the team's 16th shot of the game.
Cheyenne Mountain won the 2021 state championship, eliminating the Aspen High skiers from the postseason in a decisive 8-1 win. The last game before Aspen merged with Glenwood, the Hawks entered the game after a 15-3-1 regular season, securing the most standings points in 4A with 31, one more than Glenwood in Colorado Academy. They beat Durango 5-0 in their opening round before beating up Steamboat Springs 7-1 in the semifinal. Glenwood clinches the first seed in the playoffs on the backs of a 15-4 season, winning the Mountain Division. They brought together athletes from at least six schools spanning the western slope from Grand Junction to Aspen. Glenwood and Cheyenne met twice during the regular season, with each team winning a game. And now, reading from the Thursday, March 9 edition of Aspen Daily News Online, Pitco finally settles on Castle. Maroon fall closure dates. Commissioners side with skiers over hunters. Article by Scott Condon. Skiers were the winner and hunters were the losers when the Pitkin County commissioners finally reached a decision on Wednesday about when to close Castle and Maroon Creek roads each fall. After a lengthy discussion, the commissioners voted 4-1 to one to set November 10 as the closure date for both roads. The opening date will be, quote, no later than May 15th, the county ordinance says. The board was unable to make a decision in an even lengthier discussion in February. Morgan Boyles of the Braun Hut System and John Wilcox of Pine Creek Cookhouse and Ash. Ashcroft Ski Touring lobbied the commissioners to be flexible and forego plowing on the Castle Creek Road past Ashcroft whenever a significant snowfall occurs in November. The cookhouse and the huts open at Thanksgiving. The uh, In some winters, opening on the holidays is challenging, so any snowfall is welcome and should be preserved, they said. Two hunters and a Colorado Parks and Wildlife officer countered that the public access should be left open as late as possible into hunting season. Closing the road at Ashcroft adds 1.8 miles of hiking for hunters. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to drag an elk 1.8 miles, but it's pretty tough, said Curtis Tetch, wildlife officer for the Aspen area. Commissioner Kelly McNicholas Curry said she had to side with the skiers. I will own my bias and say I'm more biased to favoring the skier use rather than the hunting use, she said. The closure has been an annual pain in the plow for Pitkin County's Road and Bridge Department because it has loosely been defined as on or around November 15. There are many user groups who have voiced concerns annually when the gate is closed too early or when it's closed too late, said a memo to the commissioners from Brian Patet, director of Pitkin County's Public Works Department, and Scott Matisse, deputy director. Every year, these desires are in conflict. The main user groups on Maroon Creek Road are cyclists, scenic drivers, ice skaters, hunters, campers, USFS staff and guests, over-the-snow travelers, and T-Lazy 7 operations. On Castle Creek Road, users include scenic drivers, cyclists, hikers, off-road users, hunters, campers, over-the-snow travelers, hut users, cookhouse guests, and residents. Potet politely but firmly rebuffed the commissioners whenever one of them raised the prospect of setting a flexible closure date based on snowfall. Our experience with gates is a firm closure date works better, he said. 
Public Works held earlier discussions with stakeholder groups and arrived at a compromise date of November 15 for closure. Patet and Matisse urged the board to stick to the compromise between the skiing interests, who want an earlier closure, and hunters, who wanted a later closure. Most of the controversy is over Castle Creek Road's gate. Ron Christian said he has hunted in the area for 28 years and mostly focuses now on terrain below the closure gate. He said closing the gate on November 15 will concentrate more hunters below the gate. Jason Sills said he was hunting in the area one year on November 24 when the gate was closed but the road was bone dry. He favored keeping the gate open until after the fourth rifle season which typically ends in late November. CPW's Tesh T-E-S-C-H, said he originally lobbied county staff to set November 28 as the closure date. He estimated that 40 to 50 hunters roamed terrain in Upper Castle Creek Valley during the third rifle season. During discussion with county staff, he compromised on a November 15 closure, he said. Commissioner Steve Child said he frequently hunts elk in designated wilderness where motorized and mechanized vehicles are banned. He said he travels by cross-country skis when possible and has, at times, used a toboggan to move an elk carcass. Hunters who cannot handle tra traveling an extra 1.8 miles on foot might be in the wrong area and should seek more accessible terrain, he said. Nevertheless, Child said he favored a flexible closure that would allow the county to quit plowing and close the gate earlier in November if there is significant snowfall and leave it open longer in the month if conditions are dry. Commissioner Francie Jacober also favored a flexible closure date while Commissioner Patty Clapper favored sticking to the staff recommendations of November 15. Commissioner Greg Porschman also favored a flexible date, but said he would settle for November 10 to be more accommodating to skiing interests than the November 15 date. If we wanted to serve the greatest number of people, we'd be biased toward the hot users, the skiers, he said. Based on how the commissioner's discussion unfolded, Jacober made a motion for the November 10 closure date. Clapper was the lone dissenter, preferring to stick to November 15. I hope that it's a compromise that works for everyone, Jacober said at the November 10 date. And now, finalists for Aspen Police Chief meet and mingle with community. Two familiar faces, three newcomers in the running for top cop post. Article by Megan Weber. Aspen's five finalists for Chief of Police include two familiar faces and three newcomers, all of whom mingled with community members on Wednesday evening at a candidate meet-and-greet event. Current Aspen Police Department Assistant Chief of Administration Linda Consuegra and Interim Police Chief Bill Lynn are in the running, and both have been part of the APD community since the 1990s. Lynn's career at APD began as a firearms instructor in 1994. As one of his key skills, Lynn listed, bolded, and underlined on his resume that he understands Aspen. He said that after 29 years at APD and having been mentored by former APD chief Richard Pryor, he feels like now is his time. I have reached a place where I feel like I'm really prepared. 
Lynn said. We have an incredible culture here, and I think the role of the police chief is to maintain everything great that we've got going on and fixing things around the edges. In her 23 years of experience at APD, Consuegra has become well-known for her mentoring and supervising skills, connection to the local Latino community, and programs development, including programs that support community mental health and wellness within the department. Consuegra said she is passionate about continuing that work and supporting the community. For me, this really comes down to just having the privilege to grow up here and just having this community welcome me, she said. That inspires me to work for the Aspen Police Department. The city also is considering Kimberly Ferber, operations commander for the Sterling Police Department, Charlie Shufflin, a commander with the Commerce City Police Department, and Laurie Scott, assistant police chief for the city of Loveland. All three have extensive law enforcement experience in Colorado. Ferber began her law enforcement career in Littleton and currently coordinates daily operations and training in Sterling, where she also serves as chief of police in the chief's absence. Ferber noted that APD has a reputation as a leader in community police departments, and that's what inspired her to apply. The city of Aspen and the Aspen Police Department, you guys have an excellent reputation, she said, and as the next chief of police who would be leading the men and women and the professional team members of the organization i would ensure agency-wide commitment to preparedness as well as an ongoing commitment to community service through training our mentoring modeling and going back to that ongoing preparedness so that we have a safer community shoflin s-c-h-o-e-p-f-l-i-n an alum of Metropolitan State University in Denver and former corporal in the U.S. Marine Corps, said in his resume that he is passionate about the impact that proper law enforcement can have within the community. With previous work experience at the Arvada Police Department and Jefferson County Sheriff's Department prior to joining Commerce City, Shoflin brings more urban policing experience to the table than some of the other candidates. He acknowledged that the Aspen job will come with more bears and wildlife calls than he's used to, but it also comes with a beauty and community character he is passionate about. The community that I'm in has a higher crime rate. A lot of more significant crime than coming here, but I think policing is one of those things that's universal, Schopflin said. So, we still do community policing, we still serve the public, we still do those things. We have high crime, but we're also driven by the quality of life issues. Scott currently oversees criminal investigation works with employees and volunteers to enhance a victim advocate team and manages a $1.2 million plus Axon project that implements new technologies like body cameras, tasers, and virtual reality training in Loveland. She came to Colorado in 2021 from Omaha and said that that had been a dream of hers for years. I've had a wonderful career and I'm looking to expand that and to go back to the roots. And honestly, Aspen is that place, she said. They are ahead of the game when it comes to how to treat people, how to treat their community, and how to move forward together. And so I'm very thankful for this opportunity.
The candidates' resumes and bios are available for public to view at aspencommunityvoice.com slash police-chief-recruitment. Once again, that address, aspencommunityvoice.com slash police-chief-recruitment. Members of the community will be able to provide feedback on the candidates through the website until March 13. The city hopes to make the final decision by the end of the month. And now, a look at news in brief. Retired library head honored by county. Kathy Chandler was honored by Pitkin County Commissioners on Wednesday for her 44 years of leadership at Pitkin County Library. Chandler retired this month as library director. She had been with the institution since June 1979. The commissioner's proclamation reflected Chandler's good sense of humor. Kathy Chandler began her work at the library in 1979, around the same time that McDonald's introduced the Happy Meal and the James Bond movie Moonraker premiered. The proclamation says... It didn't take Kathy Chandler long to elevate her status as the James Bond of the local library world when she undertook the twelve year long job of reconstructing rather of constructing a new library for the community. The new library opened in nineteen ninety one and it has been remodeled and expanded numerous times over the last thirty two years under Chandler's leadership. In addition, there were roughly six million books checked out during Chandler's tenure, according to the proclamation, which we think elevates her to superhero status. Chandler and assistant library director Carol McCardle, M C A R D E L L oversaw moving the library from the old card catalog to the digital age. Not even the COVID-19 pandemic was mission impossible for Chandler and her team, the proclamation said. They created a curbside pickup program for library resources and staff were available online and by phone to answer customers' questions. The commissioners ended by saying, Now, therefore, be it proclaimed, the Pitkin County Commissioners and the people of Pitkin County wish Kathy Chandler a healthy and happy retirement, knowing that she made an indelible difference in our community. Chandler received flowers as well as the proclamation. Chandler said she was fortunate to work in Aspen all these years with local government leaders that should be a model for effectiveness in the country. I would just like to say it's been a lot of fun, except for the work, Chandler quipped in a parting shot. And now news from the larger western region. Volunteers in mountain towns dig out snow-stuck Californians. Article by Marcio Sanchez and Amy Taxon of the AP, Lake Arrowhead, California. After a blizzard swept through Southern California mountains, 79-year-old Alan Zagorski found himself shut inside his home with snow blocking the door and stairways leading out. He and his wife had enough food to get through the 10 days until volunteers finally arrived Wednesday to help clear roughly 10 feet or 3 meters of snow piled up outside their house in Lake Arrowhead. They had been running low on blood pressure medication, but teams had come a day earlier to resupply them in the upscale mountain community where Zagorski had lived for more than two decades. 
We've been through many a snowstorm, but nothing of this amount, that's for sure, he said. While a crew shoveled his driveway in the mountains east of Los Angeles, right now they're trying to find a place they can put this stuff. In a once-a-generation weather event, staggering amounts of snow fell in the San Bernardino and San Gabriel mountain ranges in late February, where thousands of people live in wooded enclaves. The areas are popular destinations for hikers and skiers who arrive by twisting steep highways that have been frequently closed because of icy conditions. Snow piled high above many homes, first-floor windows, and residents could get out trekked on foot to buy groceries from stores with near-empty shelves or picked up boxes of donated food at, at a distribution center. Roofs collapsed, cars were buried, and roads were blocked. The power went out in many communities, and authorities reported possible gas leaks and storm-related fires. Governor Gavin Newsom declared emergencies in 13 of California's 58 counties beginning March 1, including in San Bernardino County. On Wednesday, dozens of volunteers with the Los Angeles-based nonprofit Team Rubicon fanned out across the mountain communities to clear buried properties. A team of 10 used shovels and snowblowers to clean walkways and driveways belonging to Zagorski and his neighbors, who had been confined to their homes for more than a week. In Lake Arrowhead, home to 9,700 people and at an elevation of 5,175 feet or 1,575 meters. Many roads were plowed Tuesday for the first time in 10 days and some residents grumbled about the slow response. San Bernardino County officials estimated more than 90 percent of the county roads were plowed as of Tuesday night. About 8 miles, or 13 kilometers, to the west, along a winding two-lane road, volunteers were also digging out homes in Crestline, a working-class community of 9,300 residents. Don Black watched as a team wielding shovels cleared his neighbor's property. He marveled at the massive 12-foot, or 3.6-meter, snow berms left behind by plows along the roads. This is the worst storm I've seen in 34 winters, Black said, standing near a mound of snow that completely covered his pickup truck. A team of state firefighters shoveled off the roof of the town library. A line of residents walked along freshly plowed roads to pick up boxes of food at a distribution center. Nearby, Big Bear City received more than 6.6 .6 feet, or 2 meters, of snow in a seven-day period, the most since those records have been tracked, said meteorologist Alex Tardy with the National Weather Service in San Diego. And now, an unlikely brotherhood. State championship goal brought hockey rivals Glenwood, Aspen, closer. Article by Rich Allen. The Glenwood Springs demons lingered on the ice at Magnus Arena in Denver on Tuesday night. After 70 minutes of hockey, the group consoled each other after falling in triple overtime to Cheyenne Mountain in the state championship game. They descended on the goal where the long-awaited first score of the night ended their season, where junior goaltender Marek Sen had yet to stand up out of his butterfly position, huddling as one group before shaking hands with the red-tailed hawks.
a group that came together from six different schools, all seeking a common goal that brought them closer than some teams that have played together their whole lives, maybe making the loss sting that much more. I love how you can see the game of hockey make a whole group of teenagers that don't know nothing about each other come together as one and then go as far as they possibly can into the state championships that not a lot of teams get an opportunity to do ever. Senior Captain Carson Miller, a student at Aspen High School, said following the loss. Everyone was really welcoming. The coaching staff, the whole organization was very excited to have us. I think that excitement and love for the game just kind of triumphed the collateral we had with the team. Just a year before, Miller and his skier brethren being so complimentary of Glenwood seemed like a distant fantasy. In 2021-22, many of the same players went head-to-head -head against each other in varsity competition, with Aspen and Glenwood each taking a regular season win against each other in tight one-goal games with no love lost in the aftermath. Glenwood's victory was their first against Aspen in the young program's first year. Aspen went to the playoffs, where they eventually fell to the same Cheyenne Mountain team, and the appetite for winning only grew stronger. So, when Aspen's program dropped from varsity level, leaving its players to try out for Glenwood, a younger team with plenty of pieces and already on an upper trajectory, the chance to satiate that desire quickly quelled any previous beef. It didn't take long, head coach Tim Cotta said. It was a tight-knit group. It was based on family and going out there and working for each other, and that showed out there on the ice tonight. Everybody contributed to our success on that end of it. When you have that close-knit group like that, you can do a lot of things, and we did. Early in the season, players talked about how the team, composed of players spanning from Fruta Monument High School up to Aspen with four e schools in between, felt like a strong Western Slope club team. The players found success, unlike any of the previous iterations of Demons Hockey, officially placing second in their league but claiming the number one seed entering the state playoffs. After the first playoff victory over Liberty, played at the Aspen Recreation Center in lieu of the Demons' regular season home at the Glenwood Springs Recreation Center, the team reportedly took a chance to reflect on how they'd come together. Somebody said during the Liberty game that it brought the whole valley together, just over hockey. Aspen senior writer Rondeau said, I feel like that's really, really good. And, as a valley, the team got as close to a championship as you can as you can without winning one. After out-shooting the Hawks 26-16 to in the game and dominating the first half that simply saw the Demons come up just short of converting, an argument can be made that they were the more deserving party. Aspen and Glenwood have at least one more season together before AHS would be eligible to return to varsity status. Despite some key pieces graduating, the Roaring Fork Valley Demons expect to be back next year. Thanks for joining us for Aspen Daily News. My name is Greg Stewart. AINC programming is brought to you by Warner Brands. 
enhancing customers' lives through the responsible use of cannabis. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.